All right, I don't do this very often, but we're going to go from guest to guest. Do this very, very infrequently. But when you got the man himself, you got to go right to him. Newt Gingrich is the former Speaker of the House of Representatives, a Republican from Georgia. He is the host of the Newt's World podcast, and he's the author of many books, including Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. Newt, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back. Well, listen, I'm delighted, and I'm glad to have a chance to chat with you. Hey, last time we talked, you were in Italy. Are you still in Italy? No, I'm, I'm in uh, Naples, Florida today, and I also have a place. We have an office in Washington, so I live in McLean, Virginia also. So there is a heck of a lot to talk about. Let's just, without going too deep into the weeds, how should we think in terms of big picture about what's going to happen in Florida later this afternoon? What does it mean? Well, look, I, I think it means that we are in a very dangerous environment. When you have the leader, clearly in the last poll, 61% of Republicans picked Trump. When that leader is being indicted by the opposition party, that's something we've never seen in America. I mean, you do that in Zimbabwe or Cuba or Venezuela, but you don't do it in the United States. And I think when you look at the totality, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a newsletter right now at English 360 on, on the government's war against the American people. Um, you, you see place after place after place where the left is determined to force us to do what they want us to do. And they're willing to use the law to, to, to punish us if we don't do what they want. Is there is there any part of you... Having, I'm sure you've read the indictment and heard plenty about it. Is there any part of you that says, you know what, this behavior was egregious enough that he probably deserves to be indicted? Look, there are parts of where you know he behaved exactly like Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you say to yourself, the indictment's in context. I mean, he watched Hillary Clinton delete 32,000 emails and nothing happened. He watched her have a staff person take a hammer and literally physically destroy the hard drive of a computer and nothing happened he watched the hunter biden laptop which if it had been dealt with honestly would have defeated biden in 2020 and nothing has happened yet and he looks around and he goes let me get this straight we have one strict set of laws for one guy named donald trump and these other people can get away with anything they want to and i, I think that's the context in which you have to look at this do i think he was sloppy yes uh, if i'd had a chance would i have told him this is really dumb yes on the other hand, do I think what he did justifies indicting the leading candidate for president in the Republican Party by a Democratic administration? No. I think, it, I think it's a threat to the very fabric of America. Let's switch gears. There's been a lot of very interesting dynamics between the conservative wing of Republicans in the House of Representatives, who we can maybe just call them the Freedom Caucus, even though there's some others involved, and... Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. We had Ken Buck on the show right after the debt limit deal, and Ken Buck was none too pleased about that deal. And you've been in these situations. You've been Speaker of the House. How, how should we understand this relationship between the Speaker and the rank and file, especially the conservative rank and file? Yeah, I mean, let's be really clear. Uh, out of 223 Republicans... McCarthy has a solid 200. Now, because the margin's so narrow, it takes 218 to be a majority. 
the, the 20 or so who are unhappy can be enormously, they can leverage the system. But they're not the conference. They're, they are 10% of the conference. And their view apparently is, <clears throat> if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to screw everything up, which they did last week. Uh, I went through this. Uh, John Boehner went through it. Paul Ryan went through it. There's a, there are a group of Republicans who believe that if you throw a temper tantrum and you yell and scream, somehow you're going to change everything. <clears throat> I think, you know, as the, as the only speaker to have produced four consecutive balanced budgets and have reformed welfare to include a work requirement, and the list goes on, and we did this in my book, March the Majority, and laid it out. Um, I think what McCarthy did as a first step was a pretty good deal. Not everything I'd like, but a pretty good deal. If you told me that that was the last step, I'd have voted no. Mm-hmm. But I would say that, you know, we didn't jump to welfare reform in January or February of 1995. It took us till August of 1996. We didn't jump to a balanced budget until the fall of 1997. So sometimes you've got to take one step at a time, keep moving forward. And the question is, are we better off to have a unified House Republican Party moving both the Senate and the president? because the House Republicans are far more conservative than the Senate Republicans. Or are we better off to have a civil war in the House Republican Party? Which is their usual M.O., right? Yeah, which is the usual. There's been a consistent, steady tradition of a very small group who think that that they have the, the, the right to bludgeon and blackmail the rest into doing what they want, as opposed to winning the argument. Ask people, under what circumstance can you vote yes? I mean, don't don't tell me you're going to be a permanent no because then you're you know you're irrelevant. Right. But under what you know, what do you need so you can vote yes? And that's an everyday conversation. It's not a one time for two years. It's every day. When I think about the speakers of the House whom you just mentioned, uh, yourself, John Boehner, Paul Ryan. I know Ryan a little bit. I don't know Boehner at all. I've only spoken to you on the radio. But as I think about you guys, I I think of you as probably the most conservative. Uh, of them. I think of you and Paul both as quite principled. I'm not as sure about Boehner. In in these kinds of characteristics, how do you think about Kevin McCarthy? Is he is he really conservative? Is he a transactional political animal? Does he have principles? Um, how should we think about him? Well, I, I think he, he's a Reagan Republican. Um, it was no accident that he met with the president of Taiwan at the Reagan Library. He is from California. He grew up under Reagan. Um, he, he is a solid conservative, but he, like, you know, Reagan had this, we, Chris and I did a movie called, um, uh, uh, about Ronald Reagan, uh, called Rendezvous of Destiny. And in the movie, we quote Jim Baker, who says, you know, Reagan always said, if you, when you negotiate, if you can get 70 or 80%, take it. And then come back later for the rest. Mm-hmm. And Reagan, of course, had been a union leader and led the only strike that the Screen Actors Guild ever had, won a huge victory that changed the royalty payments to actors for all of history. Uh, and he knew how to negotiate. And he would, he would push it as far as he could. He, then he would take, pocket the goodies and come back tomorrow morning for some more. And, and I think that McCarthy's in that tradition. He's a, he's a solid conservative. He, he is not a Freedom Caucus right-winger. But on every value that a conservative normally would stand for, McCarthy's going to be with them. He's transactional in the sense, as I was, that 
you, you, you can't be a right uh, a right wing majority. It's not possible. You have to be a center right majority. The, the, and as much as the the guys in the Freedom Caucus think they're the center of the universe, there's another thirty or forty moderates, right, who are the other side of the party. McCarthy's job is to bridge both wings, to get them to come in the room together, to get them to talk together, and to get them to find some common ground. We're talking with Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, host of the Newt's World podcast, uh, also proprietor of the website Gingrich360.com. A lot of great stuff up there, including access to the podcast. Many, many books, including most recently, uh, Beyond Biden, Rebuilding the America We Love. I want to get two more questions in with you, Newt. First of all, hopefully a question that nobody has asked you on the radio before. Okay. I would like you to tell me one or two fun things to do at the Smithsonian National Zoo in Washington, D.C., and maybe you can tell people while I'm, why I'm asking you that question. All right, look, I, I, we just did a uh, podcast, which people can get by going to iHeartMedia or to NewsWorld.com. Uh, we just did a podcast with the director of the National Zoo, and she would tell you, go see the pandas. There is, If you go to YouTube, there is a clip of the pandas sliding in the snow which has been seen 8 billion times. I mean, and she said, people just get happy looking at the pandas. Uh, so I would start and say, you know, go look at the pandas. Uh, it, it's a remarkable thing. And then I would say, go look at the uh, Amazon rainforest building, which has some really great exhibits. But the National Zoo, if, you, if you're going to go to Washington, the National Zoo is, is a great place to go to. I spent much of my childhood uh, in Bethesda. My parents both worked at the Navy Hospital there, so I've been to the National Zoo a lot, and I thought it was so cool to see a podcast episode on that. All right, I got about 90 seconds left, Newt. I want to get your talk on this developing, uh, probably too slowly developing, but still developing story about Biden corruption in this news today of potential recordings. Um, what are your, wh let me, let me hone this question down. Do you think we will ever get something like proof that Americans broadly would yes. accept that Joe Biden did something corrupt? Yes, I think we will get proof because in the end in America, all these things come out. But I also think just ask yourself a practical question. <laughs> Do you know anybody who would have hired Hunter Biden? No. Yeah, period. You know, you know, if he got three and a half million dollars from the widow of the mayor of Moscow, do you think it was because he was charming and elegant or because he was Joe Biden's son? You know, if he got money from Burisma, uh, do you think the, the natural gas company in Ukraine, do you think it's because he was really brilliant about natural gas or because he was Joe Biden's son? Uh, if he got a diamond from a Chinese billionaire, yeah. you think the guy gave him the diamond because you just found him so intriguing? He's Joe Biden's son. <laughs> that is a I great mean, story, that one. So, but here's it. here's my question. Sorry to interrupt you, Newt. So, um, you've been around this a long time, and you are well aware, as am I, that lots of children of lots of famous people are out there selling their names, and you know that like the the Heinz Carey family does an immense amount of this stuff. And so what I, I don't care as much about what Hunter did as I care about whether any of it touched Joe while he was well, in office. So what do you think there? There were, there, were at least, there were at least 40 meetings in the office with Biden when he was vice president. So when Biden says, oh, I didn't know anything about my son's dealings, it's just a plain lie. I mean, this is not a complicated business. The guy lies. Newt Gingrich. Story. 
former Speaker of the House. Go check out Gingrich 360. Check out his excellent podcast. It's called Newt's World. You can get it on iHeart and at Gingrich 360. Always great to talk to you, Newt. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you. Take care. You too.